This is the first church of plenty frost, <laughs> where God has truly frozen the people for himself. <laughs> so I'm living cross-culturally as the temperature goes down on the outside, our spirits soar on the inside. And it's so good to be part of Leader's Edge for the ninth year, to share the goodness of God with you. This is a really neat time because there's no pressure. We have a whole morning together and we can allow the Lord to impact our lives and impart to our lives and unpack truth that he so desires. I like the theme that Sam has set for this morning on being practically prophetic. Because really as the people of God, we need to learn the virtue of being naturally supernatural, yet at the same time being practically prophetic. What does practically prophetic look like? We will move into lots of detail over this morning, so I really encourage you to take lots of notes. I will give you Bible verses that I encourage you to check out when you get home. Always grid anything I say through the authority of Scripture. This is a prophetic house. There is an inbuilt prophetic anointing in Bethel, and I believe the family of churches are beginning to hit that. In a sense, you all have the family DNA. You have a remarkable senior pastor in Jim Olson, and Jim's DNA, Pastor Jim's DNA, will be part of your faith psyche, your leadership psyche, your missional psyche, and your ongoing walk with the Lord. That's the way it works out at an organizational level in any context. So the prophetic DNA is already within BCF and doing very well indeed. Practically prophetic. It means something very different now than when I came here for the first time in 2005, way back in the day, when I could name my age and it began with a four. Now the digit has changed and it's not the second digit either. The second digit changes every year, but the first digit every decade. Since I've come here, the first digit has changed. Stop sitting there looking so holy, the first digit has changed for you too. It's a very different context because when I first came here, we were just about wrapping up a 100-year move of God that we've identified as the Pentecostal and charismatic movement. I didn't know it at the time, but 2006 was going to be a year where that 100-year-old experience of grace was going to come to an end. Since 2006, the body of Christ in the West has been an ongoing transition Characteristically, God has been root, uprooting many things from local churches all over the world. But in other local churches, he's been building a good mixture of where you're at as a fellowship is to recognize that which God has been uprooting 
and at the same time that which God is beginning to build. In some fellowships, the uprooting has been so severe that it's closed down, that there was no fresh building, there was a sense of trauma to bring something to an end so that people of God could go on an exodus and begin to pick up the new frequency, life by life, heart by heart, believer by believer. I'm saying all of this because the prophetic has actually changed a great deal. If you were around the body of Christ in the late 1990s, we were all learning how to prophesy better. The prophetic movement, whilst it was wonderful and of God, restoring many, many truths to the church, actually produced a dysfunctional model. But it was man-centered, and there was such a passion for personal prophecy that the ministry of a prophet was often diluted into becoming a prophetic vending machine. In this new season, God is drawing together the apostle and prophet to move into functional mode together. Ephesians 2.20 is the natural habitat of the apostle and prophet co-laboring together, building foundation in people's lives with Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So being practically prophetic today is very different from being practically prophetic 10 years ago. I believe the journey the Lord is taking us on today is to help us develop an enhanced theology of being practically prophetic in this experiential era of Christianity that at times looks quasi new age to where I'm standing. We need to be people of the word. We need to be biblicists and we need to be theologians. Not necessarily at an academic level, but we need to think continually of what the word of God means. How we apply the word of God. Yes, to our lives, but to our friendships, to our church community, to the city, to the nation, to the nations of the earth. God is growing up in the body of Christ at this hour, a global leadership. A people that can think globally, but practice locally. <clears throat> Being practically prophetic means we live in a strong foundation of biblical truth. We're going to have a time at the end of today's message, at the end of today's teaching, where we will be able to receive the gift of prophecy. I believe God would have all of us prophesy. God is more keen to birth prophecy in us than we are to receive prophecy. So when we keep that at the front of our mind, there's no restriction on whether we can prophesy or not. The context is absolutely everything. We should be a hearing community. By and large, the church in the Western world is being disciplined and provoked by the Holy Spirit to be a listening community, to be a hearing community. The first 100 years of Pentecost 
in the Western world was all about doing with this great, big, charismatic machine that churned out ministry right, left and centre. Much of it was absolutely gorgeous. A lot of it was not so gorgeous. And the Lord is always working on the not-so-gorgeous parts of our lives. We all have not-so-gorgeous parts of our lives, and that's where we are a work in progress. But now is the time to listen. Now is the time to hear. I believe, by and large, more and more of the prophetic words we will hear will be for the church we are part of, the city we are a part of, the nation. I believe that much of what we hear will be for the president of this country, politicians in this country, the systems and structures of this country. The egocentric emphasis on personal prophecy is changing because many of us have been heavily seeded in personal prophecy. What a joy to discover God comes as advertised. That he really does know all about us, that he loves us, that he wants to be intimately involved in every area of our lives. And yes, through personal prophecy, we discover that God is not angry with us. He's not judging us. He doesn't have a cutting edge or a cutting tone to his communication when he speaks over us. Yes, he knows all there is to know about you and I, but he loves us anyway. And true love is not drawing attention to a person's faults. We're going to look first at the different types of prophetic gifts in the church. You need to identify biblically and then theologically what prophetic gift you are moving in. Not only that, you need to have a broad awareness in case someone turns up and becomes part of Bethel or your church and decides they're prophetic. In one level, we need to always be policing the prophetic. So we need to know what it does and what it doesn't do. We need to be in a place where we can police the prophetic without being cynical. We can police the prophetic yet have a heart of grace and mercy. It's not like when someone is prophesying over a believer in church, suddenly the person prophesying has lots of little red, red dots coming on the chest. One mistake in your history. Part of growing as a hearing community is learning. And in learning, you will make mistakes. God is not looking for perfect people. He is looking for a people that's totally submitted to him. It's not performance driven. It's a case of, in many ways, being a simple people in a very complicated time of church and world history that we can be a place where God speaks, a place where God feels at home. This morning we're going to look at the different types of prophetic giftings and it helps us understand where and when we can minister prophetically. 
Always be aware of your hearing history. When have you heard from God historically? When have you heard from God hysterically? That's another story. We should have a working knowledge of when the Lord has genuinely spoken to us, yet he can speak at a number of levels. I so appreciated Stan's exhortation this morning. Where are you, Stan? Where are you hiding? There he is at the back. Stan the man. But God does speak at a number of levels, and when he speaks at a deep level in our lives, then our lives are marked forever. They're changed forever. I started hearing God speak to me in August 1982, and it ran all the way through to July 1983 when I was born again. God delivered me from alcoholism. I destroyed my life. The wages of sin had indeed come into my life. Death, 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 and death. All of my births came home to roost, and I lived with a deep stigma of being the local drunk, the village idiot that did the rubber man impersonation morning, noon, and night. I used to think it was really smart when people could were looking at me and I'm very drunk in the middle of the afternoon. Even caring people would say, Alan, look at the state you're in. And I would say, listen, anyone can get drunk at night. It takes talent to get drunk in the afternoon. But inside it was hurting so badly. God spoke on the 8th of July, 1983. The power of God hit me literally like a thunderbolt and I've never drank again from that day to this. Over the years, God has spoken significantly and a number of occasions. He's spoken gently on many, many occasions. I've seen truth that the Holy Spirit has been illuminating in the Word of God. I've listened to teaching. It was like cold water running into my soul and thought structures growing rapidly in my mind. But I define when God really has spoken significantly that my life is never the same again. Have a working knowledge of when the Lord has spoken to you. We're going to look very quickly at three different types of prophetic gifting. We need to understand the difference between prophecy and being a prophet. Many people get confused and regarding the two, if I prophesy, does that make me a prophet? I believe that when a church becomes a prophetic community, there's a great stirring up in the minds and hearts of people. I was functioning as a prophet and didn't even know I was a prophet. I was too, too nervous, truth be told, to even apply that label to myself. God opened up so many doors so quickly. I had a worldwide ministry within three years of following the Lord into this calling, and I hadn't had time to process. I was running to catch up all the time, and I would be in churches in America and hear the pastor introduce me, saying we have in the house a prophet from Glasgow, Scotland today, and I would be sitting down the front row wearing a suit that made me look like a Baptist, smiling nervously but thinking inwardly, this guy thinks I'm a prophet. 
And I think, well, am I? I might be, I'm not sure. Don't tell anybody. I felt like I was conning people because I wasn't calling myself a prophet. But the Lord takes us to places where our gifting is recognized, processed biblically, and in a sense we're invited to be who we are in Christ Jesus because there is a group of people that see the life of God in us. Very good example of making some definitions is found in Acts 21 verse 8 through 10. This is a very good little passage of scripture that gives us some basic working knowledge. Read in this passage of scripture about Philip the Evangelist hosting his four unmarried daughters who all prophesied. Enter the picture the Apostle Paul and his team, and I believe Paul and his team could always handle a prophecy, always handle something new. Here they had access to four prophetic voices, all living under the roof of Philip the Evangelist. But clearly the word they were bringing was not sufficient to meet the needs of the hour. So after a few days, Agabus appeared. Agabus the prophet, one of the very few prophets actually named in the New Testament. Agabus to me always sounds like a Scottish name. Like it's an old fashioned name for Angus. <laughs> that Agabus was born Angus in Scotland and he moved to the Middle East when he was five because nobody could understand his name in Hebrew, they just called him Agabus. He got saved, became a prophet and ended up being featured in the book of Acts. But he had the word for the Apostle Paul that was of a higher level and a deeper level. So we see in an instant four people prophesied I believe words that would have been helpful, words that would have been useful, but Agabus came in with the very substance of God that the Apostle Paul could continue in his journey. Four unmarried daughters lived under the roof of the father Philip the Evangelist. He was an evangelist. You and I are called to evangelize every believer is called to evangelize, but it doesn't necessarily mean we are evangelists. I hope this is helping you unpack what at times is a little bit of a prophetic maze. It's so subjective, at times it's a highly emotive subject. Great passion can come into delivering the word of the Lord. But now as we speed up this message, we're going to look at three different expressions that are in the New Testament. We're looking at New Testament perspectives today. We're New Testament people, amen? We believe in grace. And grace does not abolish the law. Grace fulfills the law in our lives. Grace is not a license to live loosely. It's not a license where we can have a mixture of sin and righteousness in our lives and believe in God's economy. It's okay. Grace is the greatest force in the universe for driving sin out of the human soul. It's so good to be here this morning. 
I'm going to look first of all at what I believe to be a manifestation gift in the body of Christ, the spirit of prophecy. We see that the spirit of prophecy highlighted in Revelation 19 verse 10. This is a great verse that declares the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Other translations put it another way, that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. This isn't a ministry or a gift. It can come on a church during a time of high praise and worship. It can come on a people who are engaging in prayer. And more recently, I've seen the spirit of prophecy come on Islamic clerics in Afghanistan and Iraq, which I love. I absolutely love this. It means when the spirit of prophecy is in operation, Jesus wants to testify about himself. I believe we can move in a greater anointing as a corporate body in this area because Jesus wants to testify about himself to the world system around us that's trying to make Jesus something very different from who he really is. So we can expect lots of manifestations of the spirit of prophecy in the coming decades. The next is the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. This is one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of prophecy can come on a believer once in the lifetime and never revisit, never reappear. The spirit of prophecy is neither a gift or a ministry. The gift of prophecy is a gift and can be part of our divine calling in the beloved. When you receive the gift of prophecy, the gift of prophecy is with you for life. Something that the Holy Spirit births in your human spirit. Later in the meeting today, we will be believing together for the Holy Spirit to birth the gift of prophecy. And whosoever desires to move into that gifting. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a work of man. And I'm very grateful for that. I'm so relieved, liberated, and free that I don't have to make this happen today. Here's the inside track. I can't. I can't make this happen. And I'm very, very relieved. I only want to be involved in a ministry that's a work of the Holy Spirit. And I only want to be involved in a church that's moving forward in the works of the Holy Spirit. However, the gift of prophecy is a gateway gift to the prophetic realm. The gateway prophecy, the gateway gift, can introduce us to what it means to hear from God with little to no pressure. What puts people off moving in the gift of prophecy is a fear of messing up, the fear of hurting people, the fear of embarrassing themselves. When we understand God has put around the gift of prophecy boundaries and identification markers, we can feel at home in this gifting very quickly. Gift of prophecy, according to 1 
Corinthians 14 verse 3 is a gift that edifies, exalts and consoles. This is a gift that we can all move in. Every person under the sound of my voice right now can receive the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is for the body of Christ. In many ways it's like a spiritual multivitamin. The enemy works very hard Monday through Saturday at discouraging believers' lives. If nothing else is consistent, taking you and I into cycles of discouragement, sometimes great discouragement, the antidote to that is often the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy edifies, exalts and consoles, or putting it another way, encourages, strengthens and comforts. So a person moving in the gift of prophecy will leave that imprint on your life. You will feel encouraged, you will feel strengthened, you will be comforted. This is a gift that can really help a local congregation in a number of ways. Every local church should have their own in-house prophetic policy. What that is is none of my business. It's a local church issue, but it has been a tremendous privilege over the last few years to bring prophetic oversight to Bethel Christian Fellowship. The gift of prophecy can be an even extended into a counselling situation. It's not that you go along to be prophesied over, but a blend of biblical counselling and the gift of prophecy can really help people. I remember the first time I was subject to someone speaking into my life through the gift of prophecy. I was a very young Christian. By this stage, I had been an evangelist. Yes, I used to be an evangelist way back in the day. I moved in a very, very powerful evangelistic anointing. It wasn't a headcount situation where so many hands responded and said, yes, I will pray the sinner's prayer. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Now, the people that were impacted through my ministry in those days came to know Jesus and are still walking with Jesus today. In one case, an entire family. And the testimony of that family is absolutely enormous and ongoing. I used to be an evangelist, but I'm all right now. <laughs> I got over it. For prayer and counselling and attending Joyce Meyer conferences, I got over it. <laughs> then I became a missionary. And I worked in the mission field for a year and the enemy absolutely slaughtered me. Apart from imparting to me an incurable illness that led me to live in very deep debilitation for the first seven years of my thirties, I returned from the mission field a broken man, an angry man, loving God with all my heart one day and absolutely resenting him the next. How could you have let this happen to me? Anyway, I turned up at church, my home church, where I was well known. By then I was last in, first out. I didn't really want to hang around and speak to people. I was in crisis in my faith. 
At the end of a Sunday night service, a young couple, newlyweds, approached me and they told me, Alan, God has given us a word for you. And they released it. And I didn't know at the time this couple were moving in the gift of prophecy. They released a very simple picture. God had given them a picture of an egg. And they said, an egg is a very fragile product. They said, if you drop an egg from your hand to the ground, it will shatter and all the contents will spill all over the sidewalk. But they said, if you put an egg in a hand and cage the hand and then try and get to the egg through the hand, it's almost impossible to break. Then they released the word of the Lord to my life through the gift of prophecy. The word was simple. Right now, Alan, you like an egg, which was so true. I was a Lord's egg man. And they said, if you were dropped right now, you would break and your whole life would just spill all over the place, which was so true. I was living in a hyper fragility day by day. But they said, you are in the Father's hand. And the Father's hand is going to absorb the pressure. Then they spoke briefly about how the Lord was going to lead me to a time of breakthrough and I would be able to <clears throat> move forward again with my life. After they spoke that to me, they left. But how did I feel? I felt encouraged. I was strengthened. I was comforted. I went to bed that night with a smile on my face. I woke up the next morning thinking there is hope. There's a way through this confusion. There's a way through this malaise that I find myself living in. So the gift of prophecy, when it is employed correctly, is a powerful gift to the body of Christ. Because it's a gift that's so readily available, it can be a place of great blessing, but it's prone to many pitfalls. It's prone to lots of disasters. So in a session like this, it's very important to recognize what the gift of prophecy does, but to see the limitations upon the gift of prophecy. I find in my own experience, that it's not so bad in this season, that most in-house prophetic problems come through people who do move in the gift of prophecy, but have taken it beyond the boundaries and are, it has to be said, wounded and even very bitter on the inside. Give the prophecy can drive somebody to think, I'm going to be a prophetic superstar. It can go beyond the boundaries of seeking the Lord for words that exhort, that edify, that strengthen, and go out there somewhere where they begin to hear other voices that feed into their bitterness and windiness, and then there's a harsh judgment and criticism, mm -hmm. even destruction that comes through the basic gift of prophecy. So when we recognize this, when we recognize this, it means we can police the gift of prophecy. If it's an in-house person, that has been part of Bethel for many years, has moved in and out of the gift of prophecy, but maybe hit hard times in their lives, 
and they are wounded, maybe even bitter with good cause for a season. We can be bitter with good cause for a season, but we need to get out of that bitterness, otherwise it will destroy our lives. Then when somebody is going down the judgment and condemnation route with their prophecies, there's a different attitude of heart because we know the person. We remember the times we worship with them, fellowship with them, attended the, Christ, the dedication of a child, was at New Year's gathering in their home. We employ the power of relational history to give the local issue a healthy context. The greatest danger is when it's somebody from the outside turning up and declaring they have a great prophetic gift. God has sent me to Bethel to prophesy his word to you. That's a big red flag. Often such people carry lots of warning signals anyway. Because when they turn up, they're in permanent fashion crisis. Their hair looks like it's been dried that morning in a microwave. And I won't even talk about the halitosis and the personal hygiene. But there's just generally an unhinged quality about the person. So when they announce the call to the church and the call to prophesy the word of the Lord over you, shut them down immediately. You do not have to receive a prophecy from anybody who walks up and says, I have a word from the Lord for you. It's much safer in-house. It's much better as part of a community. It's much more edifying, positive and life-giving when we are all connected relationally together. That's when the gift of prophecy works best. Every senior pastor knows the people in the fellowship that have a good, mature, developed gift of prophecy. In some instances I know of senior pastors that will preach a great message, teach a great message, and as they're finishing, they will say, I'll pick on Stan again. They will say, Stan, you have a great gift of prophecy. Come up here and wrap up the message. And Stan comes up to the platform because he's recognized by the leadership and the body as having a well-developed gift of prophecy. And he wraps up the pastor's message that the gift complements everything. Pastor has been preaching and teaching and brings it to great prophetic closure. The gift of prophecy, when it's employed correctly, can be a great blessing to the local house. However, when it moves away from the owner's manual and people get involved in all sorts of goofy, toxic stuff, it can be a source of great destruction in the local church. Very quickly, this is... This is what the gift of prophecy is not designed to do. We need to know this as much as recognizing what the gift of prophecy is designed to do. The gift of prophecy was never designed to give direction to people's lives. You will not be able to bring a word to a person saying you have to move to Mozambique or you have to move to Florida. Or you have to quit your job and God will give you another job. 
Or you have to divorce your spouse and God will give you another spouse. It can get really weird when people go way beyond the boundaries. If the prophecy is not designed to prophesy people into specific ministries. The gift of prophecy will never identify a pastor in training, a prophet in training, a missionary in training. A word of knowledge can. A word of knowledge can identify a future ministry gifting. But I think typically it's often through the ministry of a prophet. And we will look at that in a few minutes. When it comes to the recognition of gifting and ministry at a local church level, the leadership know the people that are moving into giftings. They perceive a lot more than many are aware of. I have become a pastor in the last 18 months. I've finally become respectable. I've got rid of all those dodgy titles like evangelist and prophet. and I've now become a pastor. So at long last I've achieved respectability. But I'm so amazed at how much you know about the congregation. I know where they're developing biblically. I know where they're being healed up from all kinds of soulish issues. I can see giftings emerge in some of the new people that have come to my local church. So do not be concerned about whether your gifting is recognized or not. Local leadership will be very aware of development. The gift of prophecy is not designed to give leaders instruction or direction. A more autocratic person, suitably embittered, will get to the stage of believing that they're the voice of God for this house. So senior pastor better do what I'm saying. The elders better do what I'm saying. And will walk around like a demented headmaster on steroids. Making sure their word is being employed properly. The gift of prophecy was never designed to do this. In fact, it's worth hitting this in the passing. A local leadership is led by the Holy Spirit. And I find this consensus at high level, local leadership level, uh, local leadership in terms of major decisions regarding the future of the church. It's my observation that local leadership will get to a place of hearing the mind of God collectively and understand the direction the church is to move in. And of course, local leadership are the in-house government and where any, any discipline is necessary in a local church. Local leadership step into this situation with grace and mercy and can help somebody go on a redemptive journey dealing with their sin issues. The gift of prophecy was never designed to humiliate somebody, to belittle somebody, and to draw to everyone's attention the sinfulness. Beware of giving or receiving words in private. The private zone was never designed to be a place where the prophetic is shared. I believe that generally the public domain is the best place, especially at a local church level where leaders and congregants know each other very well. So an entire body can judge a prophecy as well as the person receiving the word. The parking lot was never designed to be the place for prophetic ministry 
a little corner in the church after the service was never designed to be the place for prophetic ministry and the restroom was never designed to be a place for prophetic ministry. I had someone follow me into a restroom once looking for a prophecy and I'll be careful with the word pictures I paint in your mind. Let's just say I was engaging in a God-given function at that moment and was not expecting to hear a request. In fact, at the risk of painting maybe just too little a graphic, a word picture, when I heard the request, my shoes almost became wet look shoes. But we will move on rather rapidly. We will move forward through that. The public arena is the best place for prophetic ministry. Where the prophecy can be tested, the congregation can hear, and the leadership can engage with the person that has received a word from God. Never allow people to prophesy over you that you don't know, especially if your central nervous system is screaming, murder, murder, murder in the inside. Be very wise about who you allow to speak into your life prophetically. I've been injured by people I don't know coming to me at the end of services when I've been in fellowships and I don't know the person and they've prophesied a whole lot of junk over me. But sometimes satanic torment. One woman in Florida and Tampa came up to me with all the authority she could muster and say to me, go home. The Lord says, you have to go home. And I panicked. I thought it's something happening with my daughter or with my wife or is something about to hit like very soon. It's going to be quite devastating. I've been overseas when my father died and my grandmother died. So I carry a fracture in my soul about getting very bad news when I'm overseas. Anyway, I processed that in God and all I was hearing was stay on the road. Keep going. I am with you. I will strengthen you. And the Lord gave me great focus to finish that two and a half, three week trip. Finally, there's a gift of profit. This is a new phenomenon to the modern church, but truth be told, prophets have been around from the Garden of Eden forward. Adam and Eve could hear very clearly from God. They knew how to hear the voice of their Creator. They walked with God, they met with God, and they heard the voice of God frequently in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden has been reduced by a secular society as mythology, as mere mythology, like the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. The truth is, the Garden of Eden, according to biblical archaeologists, was around the size of Pennsylvania. So we have a time and a place and a space where the Garden of Eden was a microcosm of what you and I will experience in the fullness of time as the Lord creates a new heaven and a new earth. God has spoken through prophets in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But we are New Testament people. I'm sure to a man and woman, you are so aware of the Ephesians 4, verse 11 gifts. The apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher and evangelist. 
This is a perspective I can bring to this fellowship with lots of confidence because you are an apostolic house. You have in your senior pastor a man called to be an apostle as well as function as a senior pastor. But New Testament prophets were alive and well in the early church. I encourage you to read the book of Acts and look at when you see prophets either mention my name or by function and then the consequences of a New Testament phenomenon called a grace gift, a grace gift, a headship gift, a gift of Jesus Christ. I am much more comfortable describing the Ephesians 4 verse 11 gifts as the gifts of Jesus Christ. When we read the Gospels, we see Jesus moving in these gifts. Read through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and you will discover when Jesus was moving as an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher and an evangelist. We can demythologize the ministry of Jesus when we see the Lord modeling gifts that were going to be part of the early church life and are indeed part of the church in the 21st century. But prophets do not stand alone. They are very much part of the ongoing ministry of Jesus Christ because the Ephesians 4 verse 11 gifts are part of the ongoing ministry of Jesus Christ. There's a headship mentality. There's a knowledge of the Lord. It's for the body of Christ for an entire generation. We're comfortable with the office of pastor. We have grown in churches and been exposed recently frequently to pastors. We're more than comfortable when pastor mounts the podium and preaches the word of God. Likewise, we know about teachers. Teachers are something that fit very well into a paradigm. Even evangelists now, while they're a bit kind of edgy and dodgy and sometimes exuberant, we've learned over the years through great grace, prayer and fasting to tolerate the evangelist. <laughs> but we've always got a way around that problem as their evangelistic calling gets stronger. We call them to the front of the church, we lay hands on them and we send them to Africa. So we've managed that one very, very well. It's in the last two decades the apostle and prophet has turned up in local church scenarios. Apostles generally morph out of being a senior pastor into elements that would identify them as an apostle in training and then they become very apostolic in the process. They become very apostolic and that recognition tends to go way beyond their local congregation to a city, a state or a nation. But we're looking at profit this morning as we wind down this first part of the message. Hang on in there. Coffee is only a drumbeat away. <laughs> Prophets are an extension of the ministry of Christ himself. Prophets are essentially an equipping ministry, helping people hear the voice of God. In a prophetic environment, 
people's hearts not only soften, but the prophetic part of them activates. Where there's a demystifying what it looks like in terms of hearing from God, and with that, the taught word from the scriptures has a great emphasis on building. From the 1980s on, prophets standing alone often were a great blessing to the church. They blessed the church through great messages of exhortation. In fact, in many ways, God used the ministry of the prophet to deliver the body of Christ from more and more religiosity and more to bring the body of Christ into deeper kingdom focus. But it was a personal prophecy bit that activated so much life in the church. Personal prophecy, identifying giftings and callings, future events, being a vehicle for bringing healing, bringing deliverance, and collectively helping a local church find their way in God. But generally, the sum total of all of the above was blessing. Now there's a shift. New Testament prophets are no longer moving in a blessing anointing. They're called to build, primarily to build in local churches, to consolidate what has taken place in the previous prophetic generation, and more and more working with apostles. I'm going to be working with an apostle in Haiti next month at a conference level. Believing God will build the church in Haiti through our time speaking at this conference. So things are highly subject to change in the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of God is teeming with life. Religion is always dead and never changes. The essence of a religious spirit coming through a believer is talking the language of life but leading the people of God into death. Leading the people of God to a place where the common order can be sustained. The status quo can be truly employed. Prophets right now are hearing a different frequency of the Holy Spirit because they're not called to sustain an old church model. How could it be? The old church model we lived in during the 1980s and 90s is dying on its feet at this hour. Why on earth would God want to sustain through a prophet a church model he's killing? Prophets are pointing forward at this hour. Prophets are pointing forward to a church that God is in the process of putting together an embryonic church that reflects not only a new infrastructure and ministry paradigm, but is looking outward rather than looking inward. God always builds in every generation a church fit for purpose. That's why sometimes we experience in our journey the word of the Lord being like a hammer in our lives. The Lord taking us apart and insisting and pressurizing our souls 
so that every hurt in our souls, all the rejection in our souls, and all of the dysfunction in our souls begins to come to the surface. The experience of God breaking up unplowed ground in our lives is usually a very painful experience. It's the severity of God, but it's really the kindness of God in disguise. I would not have been able to develop in God unless I had gone through all of those experiences. I find typically that even my greatest nightmares, looking back the way, are very good memories in God, simply because of what the Lord did through all of my deepest nightmares. So prophets are not in the house these days to just simply continue the process of a man-centered prophetic vending machine ministry, but to be builders in a generation. Prophets are formed over a long time. They're not instant production. God spoke my calling into existence in 1987. I began to move in this calling in 1997. I began prophesying the following year, but it would have been at a gift of prophecy level. I prophesied for the first time in 1988. God gave me a word for a woman in my home church in Glasgow, Queen's Park Baptist Church, and I agonized for over an hour. And I'm thinking that I could be misunderstood. I'm thinking, she might think I'm hitting on her. I visions of the police being called. And marched out of the church in handcuffs. Anyway, I delivered the word. And the word totally impacted this lady. She was a stranger to me. I'd never met her before. I didn't know her at all. And in those days, my prophetic training was not that extensive. So after giving that word to this anonymous lady, 13 months later, I married her. <laughs> no one told me you didn't have to marry people you prophesied over. <laughs> but, but then it was too late. And next month in January, we will celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. So there was a lot in giving that first ever prophetic word. I didn't feel like God's latest international prophetic sensation rolled the drums and sounded the trumpets. Here I am. I was a gibbering wreck. I was so nervous. And even when I found out later it was accurate, I was astonished that it was really God. Because unbelief was so strong in me that I couldn't accept this as God speaking to me, through me, to another person. Anyway, in the years that followed, God had to do a very, very deep work in my life. I knew a lot of illness, a new tragedy in my family, very dark cycles. But the word of God was being planted in me without me being aware of it, developing prophetic perspectives that when the Lord lit the touch paper in my life, it was like a rocket going off prophetically because the work had been taking place over many, many years and I knew it not. And I'm glad I knew it not. I'm very glad I was going forward in blessed ignorance because it would have been too painful knowing the outcome of what the Lord was doing. I would have been so intent in getting to the end and would not have been prepared to work through all the processes. 
a prophet moves in a deep work of the Spirit of God. And because of the responsibility, a prophet needs to learn to work under authority in order to have authority. I believe prophets should have layers and layers of covering, not paper coverings. We can all go on the internet this afternoon, pay 30 bucks, become a reverend, and be part of a ministry called the Flying Saints of Oklahoma, and decide we are now called to the ministry. Here is my covering certificate. Real covering is relational in nature. I'm so grateful for the layers of covering God has put over me. I'm licensed and ordained out of a 1,000 church, member church in Nashua, New Hampshire. Um, I'm licensed and ordained out of their apostolic arm, Go I Am. I have worked with the senior pastor of that fellowship for 13 years. He has seen me at my worst. He has seen me at my best. We have travelled together, worked together, stayed in each other's homes. We really know one another. He asks me hard questions frequently. I love that sense of covering. I love that sense of being a man under covering. I'm also the in-house prophet of a fellowship not so far from here, Living Waters Church in Elk River. I think it's kind of north-west of the Twin Cities, around 45 minutes from here. I have been ministering into Living Waters since 1999. I became a member in 2004 to develop and stretch my covering better in the USA and they ordained me as their in-house prophet in 2012. Again, there's very deep relationships, not only with the in-house apostle and the senior pastor, but layers of leadership and layers of the congregation. And of course, back home, I'm an associate pastor in the Assemblies of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the Assemblies of God. I'm learning the lingo very quickly. So repent and join the Assemblies of God and you can be just like me. So there's lots of covering over me and I'm very, very grateful for that covering. New Testament prophets have the gift of prophecy. That's the essence of the gifting within them. The New Testament prophet goes way beyond the gift of prophecy and into the word of knowledge, into word of wisdom, because he or she will be called to minister detailed information regarding future events. It's not fortune telling, it's not entertainment, it's because God has chosen to reveal to a person or a people a journey they will go on with a dedicated outcome. The Lord often prepares our lives by speaking repeatedly to you and I. New Testament prophets see very clearly in the spirit realm. New Testament prophets can discern spirits that are in operation are coming against a, a person. And New Testament prophets operate in great spiritual authority 
as one of the gifts of Jesus Christ. So when we consider the ministry of a prophet, it's not standalone. It's synergizing with the work the Lord is already doing in a fellowship and is designed to impact individuals and an entire community that in that context there will be an opportunity for that fellowship to grow prophetically. Growing up in Glasgow, we had this expression on the streets and from an ordinary blue collar background, I grew up in a very poor working class district in Glasgow. We had this expression, you become like those you hang around with, you become like those you're with. In some ways that can work not only positively but spiritually because typically a church that brings in a prophet will become very prophetic the DNA of the prophet comes into the pre-existing DNA of the church and it becomes very prophetic Living Waters in Elk River is a church that's naturally prophetic. Visitors turn up there and begin to prophesy. Visitors who don't even believe in prophecy often end up prophesying. What's going on here? They've maybe come from a more traditional evangelical background and the word of the Lord is bubbling up in the spirit. But as we seek to wind this message down, keep the gift of prophecy in front of your eyes because it's that gift that the Holy Spirit wants to birth in your life today. Let me see your hand if you already move in the gift of prophecy. Let me see your hand please. There's a few of you, I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but all of you can. I'm not saying that speaking down to you, I'm saying that as a spiritual fact that all of you can experience the birthing of the gift of prophecy and then go forward into the future the Lord has for you. Keep that at the front of your mind. I would like to pray over maybe one or two people. Then we will have a coffee break. Sam, where is Sam? Sam, where are you when I need you most? Cup of coffee and a few and we'll go from there. Excellent. Super. Thanks for arranging this today. Thanks for all your help in the preparation. I do appreciate that.